Hey everyone, welcome to this edition of the e-commerce insights podcast. I'm your host, Scott DeGrossier, founder and CEO of Wicked Reports. Today I have with me Jake Goodwin. He is a marketing consultant and CMO who has generated over hundred million in revenue using social media, email, click funnels, chat bots, and pay-per-click marketing strategies, all things this audience cares about. And he has a particular specialty in B2C and consumer goods, which I know a lot of our audience is involved with. So that's why we're happy to have you on the show, Jake. Welcome in. How's your Friday going? Yeah, thanks. Yeah, thanks for having me on. And uh, yeah, Friday's been going good. Down here in Florida, enjoying life, living it up. And uh, yeah, excited to be on the podcast and and go over, you know, some of the things that I've learned in my last 10 years of marketing and and see how I can help other people as well. That's, That's why we have the show. So perfect. So consumer goods and B2C, talk to us about that industry. How did you happen to gravitate towards that? And um, any brands that you can mention that you're involved with would be interesting to get us started here. Yeah, sure. So basically uh, about 10 years ago, I actually was doing kind of like B2C in a retail space, front facing. I was not doing stuff online. It was uh, very kind of old school in that sense. And I got recruited and started working for a company that it was my same role, but online. And uh, at that point, learned a ton about the business strategy, the model, and from there, uh, became obsessed. And, and ever since then, I, I've taken a lot of the pieces that I learned in the retail front and basically be sales and implemented those pieces into online strategies, primarily in consumer goods uh, for the last 10 years. And uh, I would say that's been our, my primary niche and going exactly like you said, from brand to consumer. So working on general branding, the whole ploy of, of marketing all the way through the customer lifecycle um, and beyond. So when a brand hires you, what's like your process to kind of get up to speed with them and then to, you know, assess how everything's going? What do you, what do you do? Sure. So uh, that's a, that's a great question. So for me, the big, I'm very data driven. I call myself more of a data marketer than I am your kind of your glitz and your glams type of marketer. So for me, when I first walk work in, work with a business, I look at your tracking. I look at basically all of your advertising platforms, and I start to analyze everything in, in data sets and try to make sense of all the data. And if that stuff doesn't exist, then obviously that's a big problem, especially if you're a company that's attempting to scale. And once we're able to define those, that gives me a really good sense of the heartbeat of the company, the health of the company, in which direction we should take our ploy moving forward. I mean, imagine there's all different degrees of data maturity, right? Some people probably just scale in spite of themselves and other people are super methodical with the numbers. I mean, most people at Google Analytics, do you dive in there and kind of try to sort out whatever you can? Yeah. I mean, ideally I look for somebody that has some type of tracking software like Wicked. That really helps because Google Analytics is great, but it's also very limited. So I'll usually try to use Google Analytics, but in all honesty, the amount of people that I've worked with that I've seen is appropriately UTM coding and doing what they're supposed to do in order for Google Analytics to do its job is maybe 5% of e-com <laughs> companies. Uh, a That's lot of good for my do, future prospects here at Wicked. Yeah. <laughs> I would say a lot of the people uh, very much do what you said before. I like to call it the, the pray and spray method. And they have a budget <laughs> that they set aside and they kind of just hit the button and, and make a prayer 
and hope for the best. So usually I'll, I'll start I'll start with Google Analytics and and kind of like if I have to then start going. It, it's really unique. It depends on the company because some people have a little bit more than others. But analytics, I would say, is my kind of start point before I start jumping into independent advertising platforms and stuff like that. Granted, if they have you know an enhanced e-commerce turned on and things like that too. Are you mostly deploying your ad spend for these D 2 C brands? What are your um, favorite platforms? So, Sure. So I think in the last, I would say the last like seven, five to seven years, a lot of spend has been going on Facebook. A lot, a lot of spend has been going on Facebook advertising because I would, I would say up until as of lately, it's been somewhere that you could kind of categorize as a full funnel approach. So you can really, you can find new customers, you can nurture people that maybe objected with whatever your offer was originally, bring them through at the bottom of the funnel. But as the landscape's been changing and stuff like that, I've seen a lot of success actually with other platforms like TikTok and Pinterest and Google a lot too, because I do feel, especially in 2021, Google and YouTube has given a really nice, strong stability and sense of tracking because of the way that they've implemented since the start. Again, but that's it's really gonna break down to the type of business, the offer that you have, the age demographic, on which, which channel you wanna work with. Because if you're, you're dealing with a plus 55 demographic, I think that there's a really strong blend that needs to take place among maybe Facebook and native advertising on say yahoo.com or msn.com, because that is, a, that is the, the people that are reading that, you know, when they're drinking their coffee in the morning or, or something like that to kind of get caught up on news. Yeah, it's it's interesting how just age can determine a platform. Like, yes, very much. Snap is for young youngsters. Yes, yeah. TikTok. Yes, you'd be shocked that TikTok will TikTok will surprise you. I've gotten enough spend under my belt now to really understand the platform, and and uh, I would say TikTok's kind of like floating more towards the age thirty is like that hot spot right there. Wow. Mm-hmm. Now, are you doing any Amazon at all? So Amazon, I've kind of stayed away from. I've been strictly on the e-commerce B2C side, like if, you know, like a, a brand. I have dealt with Amazon a little bit, but not enough to, to I think, put my a stamp of expertise by no means. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're, uh, we're launching tracking of Facebook and Google spend to Amazon brand's storefront. So wow. That's our okay. big Q3. Yeah, that would be awesome. I was curious. Yeah, it'll be fun. Because then you'll be able to know if it works or not. You're right. You know, right? Yeah. You don't know. I think, Just spend and hope. <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, I think if, yeah, once you guys launch that, I think I, that might be an incentive for me to, to jump on and, and see because it's always been a big concern of mine is, is tracking. In fact, because it's, uh, as you know, every platform likes to write a different story than the whole. <laughs> That's a very political way to say it. Yeah. They like to take all the credit. You know, it's just mind blowing how um, aggressively optimistic the ad platforms are about their performance. That being said, they're great channels for traffic and sometimes for customers. That's why we're we're doing this. You know, yeah, absolutely. What um? So with Google, sometimes that's more complex than than Facebook, but can I mean maybe a higher click price, but often more ROI, particularly over time. I've noticed. I mean, it's a it's a generalization, but it can happen. Do you, is it, is it shopping campaigns first and then, or do you do audience stuff or YouTube, all of the above? What's like your weapon? So that was going to be my first question. Are we talking YouTube as well within the Google suite? <laughs> yes. Um, the Google suite will, will, will say that's something a little bit different. So I, myself personally, I'm a firm believer now that YouTube or basically Google, the whole Google suite is 
incense the new Facebook. And I think that if you are able to come out with a p- appropriate creative and the right targeting and things like that through YouTube, it is absolutely the cheapest place to get eyeballs on your company or your offer. And then from there, it, you're, it enables you to basically then start to retarget people through different video campaigns, different things to further nurture them. And then guess what? As soon as they search your company, they click on you. Now you're into basically Google's display network or their search network or their shopping network. So that's how I view Google. But I would say, say YouTube's out of the picture. You don't have a product that works good on YouTube, like something that you can create a nice story, right? I would say shopping, smart shopping campaigns and different things of that that matter. Uh, I am seeing really good results on and they're starting to come out with different bidding techniques Uh, Very similar to how Facebook's bidding techniques used to be prior to the changes, which is allowing you to optimize for different objectives and things like that that uh, weren't there before. And I've I've seen this year alone uh, a lot of success there. Yeah, I like that they simplified the, you you either choose a value, if you're doing the smart, you either have one value or one conversions, either maximize the count or maximize the value. Whereas before yeah. there was all these permutations. So I thought that was... Yeah. And then they started, yeah, they're starting to roll out different betas. I can't talk about because it's kind of NDA, but there is a couple of different betas that are coming into play with Google too. So with the, with the industry you specialize in, I mean, I know your skills will translate in a lot of places, but consumer goods in particular, what are the unique challenges that you feel marketers face in that industry? Well, so with consumer goods, I feel like it's a very saturated space. So I think that one of the one of the big things for a marketer, like as an advertising standpoint, is differentiating yourself from everybody else that probably has something similar or something alike, while still being professional and keeping composure and not bashing another brand or something like that. So coming up with some a genuine marketing ploy, I think is the biggest hurdle that marketers are going to come against in consumer goods space. And, and something that's going to set you apart. But outside of that, I would say, not just in consumer goods, but as a whole, marketers, especially in 2021, are having a really tough time with, with tracking and, and kind of getting a strong idea of like, hey, where, where do I even go? To, where do I go to spend? Like, I have a great message and I have a great offer, but I'm not sure where to start. And I'm, the message is slightly different everywhere. And I'm not too sure which product goes at which platform, because as you said before, age is going to dictate a platform. But a, a lot of the time, also the product and the story and how much the person needs to be nurtured. If it's an impulse buyer, maybe somebody's going to come in seven days after they see it the first time. So then um, how do you overcome some of those challenges? Like, cause you, you need the unique offer and, and you have the unique offer, but there's like 10 people selling, like what's a, what's a brand you can talk about someone selling some like food product or something. Yeah. So like 20 say, people selling the same thing. <laughs> yeah. So like I, I'm, I can't name drop any brands, but like, I would say that like a seasoning space is something that I've seen really pop up. So like healthy seasonings or dressings or somewhere along that line, that is a spot that I feel like is it's very competitive right now because it's a pretty easy go to market strategy formulas. You can make them as clean or, or as kind of white labeled as you would like. And there's manufacturing for very much like supplements now where anybody, there's supplement companies. And I believe there's even seasoning manufacturers that are allowing companies to basically just pop up shop and drop ship straight from the actual manufacturing plant. Mm. So the big thing that I'm seeing is, is delivery. So the big difference, the things that are going to differentiate you from somebody else is say 
the values. So like, are you a super discount brand? Are you preaching the benefits that I have no salt or my products are zero calories per serving? It, it comes down to kind of benefit selling in combination uh, with the offer, you know, if you're running like BOGOs or different things like that. And then also the delivery of it, of util- using it that a customer can relate to, like knowing how to use a seasoning. Because if you have 50 seasonings, mm-hmm. uh, much like these, a lot of these brands is a lot of people are going to go, oh, okay, I, I use like three seasonings because these are the ones that I know. But outside of that, like how do you broaden somebody's taste spectrum through unique creative content to make them go, oh, wow, like I could use this seasoning on ice cream and I would have never thought about using that. And so I think that that's the play that is going to set you apart is coming up with things that's like, yeah, like actually, yeah, seasoning on ice cream could work or seasoning in a coffee could work or coming out with unique ways to use a product that you've used for years and years and years. It's the implementation of the product and, and explaining and showing people that it's more than just the seasoning you would put on your grill grilled chicken or steaks and coming out with a message that is showing it, Hey, this is unique ways to use it because it's great clickbait. And once somebody gets in and you're giving them enough content that shows them, Oh, wow. Like these are cool dishes that people have made. There's a lot of reviews that go behind it. They kind of have, they have a great return policy, you know, risk-free guarantee. Like, what do I have to lose? Let me try it. So I think that's the big thing with consumer goods right now is it's like, how do you reinvent something that's been boring for all of its eternity. <laughs> yeah. I said, so I'd agree with that. Cause I mean, I, I have Montreal steak put on my burgers, salt and hot sauce. I put on virtually everything yeah. <laughs> hot salt, always, even without tasting, I have salt, which drives people crazy and that's it. I don't really, so I, I need education. <laughs> right. Yeah. So it's, it's the same thing like, you know, like supplements are a big one right now too. And I've had the pleasure of working in supplements for a really long time. I've, I've worked with all kinds of different supplement companies, but I think really what it comes down to is, is the formulas are all going to be very similar. It's creating a community, it's creating a message and then backing that with scientific based research. The community touches something that people really look for now and they want, they want a face to the brand. And I think that's a big thing with consumer goods too, is, is they want somebody that they can relate to. Maybe that's a husband and wife with children. Maybe that's a dude that's doing X, Y, Z, that's entrepreneur. Creating that, that makes people feel like, wow, I'm a part of something because everybody desires a deeper connection. That's true. It's making me, I was just daydreaming about, okay, what am I going to be doing differently? Because that kind of translates into everyone's marketing, really. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to be very broad because it's, I think a lot of the things that are being stated are can be applied to just so much. And and you got to think about where we are today. And, and I think COVID showed us a lot of how people's psychological thing, like their thought processes and people really reaching out for connection was higher than it's ever been. And the, the brands that I saw that had a phenomenal community, and then they were using people within the community to start reaching more people, kind of like an MLM, but more genuine and transparent, they, they crushed. They did, a, they did amazing in 2020. Mm. They grew more than anybody else. And that's something I saw across the board. You, you mentioned you, you like to start with data. What, what data measures do you look at are most important in, like, when you first set things up, but then also from tracking or, or just in general? Yeah. What, what are you trying to, what measures are you trying to get dialed in so you can actually so, really scale something? Sure. First and foremost, you got to, you got to start at the meat and the potatoes, which is your website. 
and, and having a better understanding of the, all of, all of the flows on the website, whether that's um, just your normal website or, or, or you're having an offer flow or something like that, understanding those data points because those data points, not only for existing traffic, but for new traffic is going to greatly determine what you're able to spend and do at the advertising level. So determining that, creating a model for that, that's step one. Step two is then basically going and looking at your your basically advertising platforms and going, okay, well, does the math make sense? If my new convert new customer conversion rate is X and I'm getting this many clicks every single day, and this is how much the platform's telling me I'm making revenue, and this is how many sales, does that align with what my funnel is in fact telling me? And most of the time you're gonna find out it doesn't. And and before, even before 2021, tracking has always been an issue in understanding exactly what you need to be looking at, which is the meat and potatoes. Like, at the end of the day, did the person convert on whatever their, your objective is or not? So then at that point, you go, okay, like, I have a data discrepancy. And it's not such a big deal if you're only running traffic from one channel, but it's the second you start to add a second channel that's also maybe top of funnel or middle of funnel then it becomes very, very important to implement something like, like Wicked Reports. And I say this because Wicked Reports is going to give you a holistic view of tracking. And you can look at the attribution window the same for every single platform, or you can look at it maybe a little bit different for this platform or for that platform, but it's essentially giving you the click that you that, that data, does it make sense all the way from the platform and all the way through and then it helps you identify drop-off spots. So, you know, like if they're, if somebody's maybe, maybe, maybe you're running Facebook and you're getting tons and tons of clicks, but nobody's converting and you turn that campaign off. But if you don't have the appropriate uh, kind of software such like Wicked to look and go, okay, well, what is my first click revenue there? I don't really want to look at last click because it's such a top of the funnel effort. I want to find out what my first click revenue is. If the first click revenue works out, then you're like, oh, wow. Okay, then this is actually a really good platform. But if you were looking at, say, just like Facebook, they are it, they, their attribution models all over the place these days and just like any of the other yeah. ones. So, and they don't, I don't think that to my knowledge, and maybe I'm wrong, but I don't even think you can look at first click on, on Facebook. So. Yeah, yeah. Before they used to have like a, you know, one day view, seven day click and different things like that. And, and all honestly, like seven day click is cool, but like Facebook shouldn't have full credit for a sale if it's top of the funnel. And there was six touches after that by other things in which you have tracking for. And that's why I like Wicked because you can really tie all the pieces together. And something that I've always gotten into arguments with, with CFOs, it's my favorite, is they go, we need to scale Google. Google search is doing so good on our branded keywords. And... <laughs> You go, it should. Yeah. I was like, it is, isn't Better. it? Yeah. I was like, our ROAS, you know, our ROAS is 40. We're getting like a 40X there, you know, 50X there. This it's great, right? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, but I was like, you have to understand the whole ecosystem of marketing. And there's nothing harder as a marketer because you know what's right. You know what's actually fueling Google. But when you're talking to somebody that's like a CFO or an analyst, the, da the data is what they want to look at. So they want to look at the data and go, okay, then prove it. And if you have the data to provide, which Wicked gives you the, the, that ability to do, and you can say, hey, my first click came from here 
And then they went in and then they clicked on another Facebook ad. And then they went and clicked on a Google search ad. And then they signed up on our newsletter. And then our email closed them. You're never going to know that unless you're doing appropriate tracking. So when I start working with a business and advertising and stuff like that, that is the first thing that you have to do is get tracking in place because that is the only way that you're ever going to prove your case as a marketer to the rest of the executives that what you're doing is in fact correct and you're going in the right direction. Yeah, the, that branded thing, because it's always like, well, unless you're like Nike, people didn't wake up and type in your domain because they thought of something. Some marketing led them to think of your domain and then click on the brand. Yeah. So it's the clicks before that drove that. Same mm-hmm. with the email sales. So the email sales are the close. Facebook tries to steal credit there while not giving itself proper credit when it finds like a cold traffic repeat buyer. So they yeah. overstate their effectiveness at the bottom and dramatically understate their effectiveness at the top of the funnel. Yes, exactly. Like puzzling to me. I've talked to a lot of people over there about this and they just don't, I don't know. They don't care. Well, or they don't get it one or the other. <laughs> yeah. And it's not just Facebook. It's all the platforms because most of the platforms have created their system off of Facebook. So the, it's not just them, it's, it's practically everyone. So with cold traffic, top of the funnel for consumer goods, what are some approaches you use there? Because that, I feel like that's the, that's the golden goose, right? If you can get that right, uh, granted, you're going to do text, SMS, abandoned cart, email, retarget. Those things are all well and good, but they're only good because your cold traffic is going to have to get to get them yeah. down to that stage. It's the most important, uh, one of the most important things in my opinion. So how do you, oh, like, some brand up. hires you, I need help. Well, you got to figure out their cold traffic. How do you, what's your, how do you do that? Yeah. So like basically for cold traffic, again, I'm going to lean on, I'm going to lean on it. The, every brand's different. Every offer's different, but I'm also going to lean on tracking. So I want to look at tracking and see, okay, like where's my cold traffic sources? Which one is in fact driving the best revenue from first click? and of maybe a linear and then maybe a last clip attribution model and then kind of like draw in between and then you go okay like well this one's not giving me a lot of revenue off of first click linear or last clip but my cpm and my cost per click is maybe one third so i can actually send way more volume through this traffic source and then it's up to me to optimize other pieces whether that's like, hey, let me try to collect the lead faster so I then can put them into my email clutch or my SMS clutch. But ultimately, that's where I usually look and it, it, that's where I'll start to look. And I go, okay, like, well, here we, here we are. This one has a lot of volume. This one has the cheapest amount of volume. Let's maybe start here and then kind of go down that path because if we can fix that, that's going to give us a much larger return in the long run then if we're going to go pay quadruple the price for CPMs and clicks from another platform that maybe gives us sales uh, a little quicker. So I think that ultimately it's a blend. So finding out which one is, is the best for your company, because every company is different. I've had companies where native advertising is phenomenal and it puts them into a landing page. And then once they hit the landing page with their article, a little advertorial, then it's going to go flow through to a website or a lead gen or something in that sense. But native is cheap it's you know you're getting cpms for like a dollar and then you're getting if you're a good advertiser you're getting clicks at like 10 20 cents at whatever scale you want and that that in my opinion is the spot so it's like who has the cheapest cpm who has the cheapest cpc and can i convert these people and if i can't 
maybe you need to find somebody that can, because I think that there, there's a big disconnect there to where people go, oh, well, the traffic's just not the same quality, but the advertisement's advertisement. You've got to nurture them and then turn them into a customer. So with this data-driven approach, what's like something surprising or I don't know if it's really shocking, you know, it's just data, <laughs> but what's been like some surprising things you've discovered as you've been wading through data in your years? Definitely attribution model uh, on platforms. And that's all, that's all, I think it's still forever going to be the biggest surprising factor for me with how much kind of funny and, and, and unnerving to me when you add up all of the revenue that's generated between the platforms and it's double the revenue that you actually made. <laughs> yeah. That I would say is the most shocking thing when I'm like waiting for data and I go, okay, well, this is why we need better tracking because this is like, you cannot steer a ship like this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I remember when I was first creating Wicked and it was like, I could have chose a lot of different ways to do it. His background was data. And mm -hmm. I was like, well, if, as long as we start with a real sale, it, it should make sense. At least I know I'm not making it up. Right, <laughs> that turned yeah. out to be a good decision. But I was just, it was mostly logical. And then initially, before I was even like, hey, I'm going to blow out this big company and all that, it was like, just started consulting with a few people and noticing, geez, these ad platforms, what, what are they talking about? <laughs> like, how right. can they say this? Yeah. And I just don't think they weren't built to try to be a source of truth. They're built to get you to spend and to give you a good source of traffic, but which they do both quite well. And mm -hmm. that's, really, that's the purpose of their reporting. It's not to be a source of truth and to tell you to spend on their, with their competitor. So Right. I mean, it's a business at the end of the day. They want you to spend money. So they're going to tell you whatever they got to tell you to make you spend money. But I would say that's usually the most shocking thing is, is finding that. And then through data as well is finding that the platform that you least thought was the best one is actually the best one. And, it, and you thought that just because, you know, like you, maybe you just weren't spending a lot there. Maybe you overlooked it. And I think that finding that it's like this diamond in the rough and, and it really breathes a lot of life to something because it's like, man, all you gotta do is scale this. That's it. It's very simple. Yeah. But unless you're, unless you're swimming through the data and you're looking and looking proactively and then most importantly, looking at correct data, you're never going to find that. Never going to find it. So we used to have a lot of issues with, uh, I mean, because we never used IDFA, which is uh, Apple's, Apple's the one that created the endpoint. So I you know they're throwing Facebook and Google under the bus over, but Apple's the one that said, hey, send us a phone number and we'll tell you everything they've done for a month. Right. And Google and Facebook used to have 28 day view attribution. So it would be so far off from our numbers. People would be stressed out. They come in and be like, but Facebook says this. And I'd be like, well, I mean, it, 27 days ago, you were on your favorite site you go to every day and there was an ad in the corner that you ignored and that's saying it closed your sale. Yeah. And, and then people would, they really were upset generally when I tell them this. No one was really like thrilled about it. Now people are on board, thank God. But mm -hmm. that was always the most shocking thing for me that a, a view from a month ago, like I don't even know what I had for breakfast three days ago. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't. And unless your business models, uh, I don't, I, it's just a, it's just a totally different type of business model than like consumer goods. I think view through conversions are practically irrelevant. Yep. I just don't, I, unless somebody's click, like a click is a data point. A view is not a data point. 
Totally agree. Cause you can't judge intent because something's cool. Yeah. If they stared at it intently for five minutes, then it was a, an amazing view, <laughs> but you're never right. going to know. Never going to know if they set their phone on the counter and forgot about it. You know? Yeah. You know. So have you noticed with, uh, so with IDFA and with the Apple changes into Facebook measurement, is that thrown anything into chaos in your, your ad spending or? Oh gosh. Yeah. Facebook, I would say Facebook's definitely been the biggest. Um, I don't basically what I'm starting to see is a lot of people, you know, CPMs are on the rise because a lot of people maybe slowed down business during COVID. Now they're ramping back up. Everybody's trying to inject again. So CPMs are on the rise, which traditionally has always caused it's, it's been on the rise with, with bid optimizations. And that's where I really noticed the biggest difference right now because tracking's track. Facebook's always been off. It's been off 10, 20% for forever and a day, even on like, if you're looking at the last click model only. And, but as of lately, it's either under or over reporting. I've seen up to 60% depending, you know, depending on how many people are Android or Apple users. But the bidding optimizations is where I've seen the biggest issue. And because marketers are coming and when CPMs rise, that means that more people are coming to the platform, they're spending money. And how are they going to optimize? They're going to op- they're going to bid on lowest cost because that's what makes sense, especially if you're a newer company and you're doing the, the quote unquote pray and spray. I'm going to run lowest cost because I think that's the best. So lowest cost is working okay now, but CPMs are, are way up. So in the past, how you would combat that is, is starting to tie in different bidding methods because they have different pieces of auction. And if you were to go in and you say, okay, cool, well, instead of me running a lowest cost campaign, maybe I found some great data on lowest cost, but now I want to go and play in the auction of a bid cap campaign or a cost cap campaign or accelerated bid cap campaign or a ROAS, minimum ROAS campaign. Mm-hmm. All of those optimizations from a bidding standpoint completely got wiped. And I don't think people understand the magnitude of that change because Facebook is not getting the data points it needs to make decisions anymore. And I'll give you a prime example. I have I had somebody that I was running paid media for. They spent 100k a day on Facebook. Almost every single one of their campaigns have been on autopilot for about six months, doing great, crushing, doing a very very good job. They're all on bid cap, accelerated bid cap, cost cap, or minimum ROAS style campaigns. The update took place. It was okay until about, I would say about three weeks ago. Three weeks ago, I think, is when a lot of people started to update their phones and things like that. And Facebook stopped getting the measurements that they needed. And all of these campaigns that were literally an evergreen autopilot completely, <sighs> completely wet the bed. <laughs> All that and, work and, getting them dialed in too. Yeah. And it's like, sure. for example, you have something that's running on bid cap and all these cost caps and measurements, these are rules. So you're like, I don't want to spend more than a hundred dollars per, per customer or sale or whatever you're tracking. And then when you go and look in there and you go, Oh my God, it's still oh. spending the full budget. But now instead of it like stopping because it's not getting a customer where you need that value to come in at, it just spent $10,000 on a customer. Ugh. And so like, basically as an advertiser, like if you're not at the helm and checking those things every single day and you're spending that much money every day, it's a, there's a very strong likelihood that you, you could literally put yourself out of business in three to four days because Jesus. Facebook seriously underplayed 
what was really going to happen. Oh man. Took a vacation, came back, said, that's the last one I'm taking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it, it was, uh, I saw that I witnessed that and I, you know, I'm very, very, I have notifications or emails on anything that happens. Like any, if I get a CPM that's higher than X, I get an email letting me know and I have a specific inbox for that. And that was something that happened. And I would say the bidding, the bidding methods is where I saw the biggest issue, the, the bidding optimizations with all these updates and stuff like that, obviously tracking as well, but pretty much that is, is was the biggest one. Yeah. Switching gears just a little off the IDFA, uh, customer lifetime value. How does that factor into your strategies, if at all? And how do you use it to get an edge or? Sure. So I think LTV and I'm going to use LTV for short is really important, but I, I, I don't think it's important. It, it's, it's very important, but not as important as churn rate. And why I say that is because if you're a company and a lot of companies, first and foremost, don't know that LTV because it's, yeah. it's kind of a pain unless you have something that's going to help you find that to calculate and using wicked it's right there. And you can see it like in all these different cohorts of which you would want to look at it. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, if you don't know your LTV and you say your LTV is $60 and you're spending $50 on, on the front end to acquire a new customer, but your LTV is $60, but you don't know that, yeah, you never, you're never going to have a scalable business ever. The second that you stop pouring money, everything just falls to pieces. And so LTV is very important because understanding that is how you're going to know how much you can truly spend to acquire a new customer. And then on top of that is calculating that churn rate. How fast is that person falling off? Because you need to find out how many days you have. If you're not breaking even on day one, when are you going to break even? When is this going to make sense? Is it ever going to make sense? And if you can't calculate those things, then your business is going to fail in, in, in the long term. And I think that piece of it is so important that most of the businesses that fail after three years is because they have ran out of VC money or personal money because they've just been pouring so much on the top and not worried about the LTV and the retention side of things that when they go and they look and they go, oh my gosh, my I just spent $50 million in investor money last year to grow my business. And I just found out now that I've spent $60 million that my LTV is the same amount or even worse, it's $5 more than what you're paying to get the customer. And it takes yeah. 12 months to make five more dollars. Yeah. And that's not including like your true lifetime value because your CAC now, your CAC is maybe only saying from the first platform, it's not taking in how many times you've texted them, how many times that you've emailed them, all the other t- touch points, maybe your sales team's calling them. So now you have overhead involved. So your CAC's even going to start changing as well. So I think, in my opinion, LTV and churn rate is arguably one of the most important two data points of a business if you are looking to have a business more than three years. Yep, I, I agree. Because if you, you got to see that LTV, if you do a cohort analysis that you got some repeat buyers, otherwise you got a product issue, most likely. Yeah. <laughs> They're not happy. Yeah. So you're already screwed if you don't have a product people want to buy again. Yeah. And, and that's that what I would buy, say. Like what, what's that 90 day and then 120, maybe out 180. Normally people yep. can't look that far out. They at least go 90 day and say, Hey, what's your lift from day one to 90 on the customer cohort? Cause it, that's going to at least be profit minimum. Mm-hmm. 
Minimum. Worst case, you're breaking even day one on the customer and making it back in 90 days. If you got a subscription box or something like that, then yeah, those are such nice businesses. Anything on subscription? Phenomenal. Yeah, phenomenal business. But I would say, yeah, Wicked, Wicked has been a huge game changer because if you are somebody that does not have analysts on your team and you are kind of a solopreneur or you have a very skeleton crew, Wicked Reports gives you the ability to look at data points like that very easily. And that was something that I, when I first started using Wicked Reports, that's what attracted me to it is because I, I was very much a part of a skeleton type of company. It did a lot of revenue, but it was more of a, you know, it, we just didn't need more people. And we were like, why we're going to hire an analyst that's going to build a couple interfaces and then they're just going to sit here. So we looked in the Wicked, we were like, wow, this is really good. And it got to the point to where like, I was able to look at it as a marketer and understand the business health and what's going on. And then I could then make nice because the, the interface in the UI is it's very appealing to and easy to read, which I think is great because not all of them are. And you can make nice presentations just through simple screenshots to express with your other executives or partners. And before Wicked or, or anything else like that, that that piece of your business uh, arguably is something that I think I think like ninety percent of people that own online businesses or business in general they don't even know. So just, uh, we're launching a Google data studio connector next month. So people can wire it in there if they get their own pretty templates as well for reporting. Oh man, that's gonna be awesome. It'd yeah. be kind of cool yeah. or, or whatever dashboard tool. This, that's the most popular. Yeah. This has been great. Now where, uh, are you taking on clients? Where can people find you? What's the best way to get in touch with you? Yeah. So like, uh, yeah, like right now I'm kind of, I'm being selected with the clients I work with. I think the best way to, to reach out to me is, is, either through my website, either I have like a little sign up bot or area on there, or you can just drop me an email directly, Jake, J-A-K-E, P is in Paul, goodwin.com, or the same exact thing at gmail.com. Easiest place to get a hold of me. And um, like I said, I am, I'm very selective with, with, with people that I do work with. That's great, Jake. This was awesome. Time flew by. Appreciate your time. Thanks for being a guest. It was awesome. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. Uh-huh.